The Today's Homeowner Radio Podcast is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, your partner in home improvement. Everyone has questions about their home. We've got the answers, and we have a few laughs along the way. Informative, entertaining, and sometimes off the wall. Home improvement has never been this much fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this hour of today's Homeowner Radio. Danny Lipford here along with my buddy Joe Truini, and we're all ready to cover a lot of different subjects during this hour, answer a lot of emails. We're going to be talking about flooring. Of course, we almost always talk about flooring, a very important part of the house. We're going to share with you a few tips on that. Also, we're going to repeat a special weed-killing formula. A lot of people wanted to have their pencils in their hand and ready to go with that. We're going to share that with you in just a little bit. Boy, does it work. It's cheap, non-toxic, and everything you need is probably sitting right in your pantry right now. Also, a new game-changing caulk, an amazing caulk that's just come out. We're going to tell you all about that. We have more painting tips for you, master bathroom remodeling ideas, emails. And, Joe, what about a simple solution coming up in a bit? What might we expect? All right, Danny, I have a quick tip on how to extend the life of your wire brush. If you're using your wire brush all the time, you might notice that uh, some of the bristles get worn down. So I have a quick tip on how to keep that brush in your workshop for many, much longer than you might think. Boy, that's great. All right. Looking forward to that and looking forward to hearing from you. You can pick up the phone anytime and give us a call. 800-946-4420. And that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, You can leave your question there, your comment there. If you'd like for us to get back in touch with you, you can also um, leave us your email address or phone number. And also you can send us an email at any time. Todayshomeowner.com slash ask. But we did get some great recorded calls this week and would encourage you anytime during the week to pick up the phone and ask us your question, just like the folks that we're talking to right now. Several years ago, my daughter bought a below-grade flooring, wood flooring. We installed it according to the directions. We put down the vapor barrier and laid out the floor. And um, it was good for two, three, four, or five years. And uh, all of a sudden, it, it developed a warp. Now, she had been using uh, a dehumidifier during the summer and a, a humidifier during the winter to counteract shrinkage and expansion. Her humidifier was gone through the drain, so the fan would run, but then the humidifier was not working, and that's when the bulge occurred. She got a new dehumidifier and put it right next to the, where the bulge was. It kind of shrank a little bit and then came back again. Recently, I just tore the floor up. I had to start from the other side of the room to get to the area affected. And uh, I replaced the boards that were, were warped or twisted with excess that she had from, from her project to start with. And, uh, and now it, it's bulging in the same place again. There's no sign of uh, water. And the water table is about 10 to 15 feet below where her cement floor is. There's never been an issue with water. Their sump drain was always empty. I don't know if you've got any suggestions. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, there's several things here. First of all, um, just a big caution about any time you're putting a floor in on a slab, particularly in a lower area of the home like um, a basement, uh, you really want to make sure that you treat that floor 
um, I would not put it down over just raw concrete. I would make sure that you used a concrete sealer to kind of create almost a vapor barrier before you put the floor down. And when you have the floor down like this now, um, I'm not really sure you would ever need a humidifier. It's all about the moisture right. and pulling it out. But Joe, you know, I, you know, I'm going to mention the hygrometer, um, right. you know, yep. it's a simple little digital thing that can take away the guesswork. So you might be sitting there trying to battle of moisture when you may not have a moisture problem at all. It may be that this floor was just installed too tight and too snug against a particular wall. And instead of it buckling at that wall, it'll buckle away from the wall a little bit. Not uncommon for that to happen, but you got to stabilize that relative humidity percentage in there and have it 40% or below. Um, right. What do you think on this, Joe? Do you think that's simply what it is? And I mean, a hygrometer, hey, that's 10 bucks. Go ahead and get one and at least take that out of the equation. Right. This way you can keep track of the relative humidity in the room. Yeah, what Dana's referring to is an expansion gap that should be left around the perimeter room when you're putting down any kind of engineered flooring, whether it's laminate or, in this case, he said wood. So I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a, an engineered wood floor because mm -hmm. um, he was able to pull it right back up because it, it's not, you know, it's a floating floor. With, with laminate, you only need about a quarter inch gap. I always leave it a little larger because, you know, the baseboard's going to cover it anyway. And I think you need up to a half inch for uh, engineered wood flooring. But without that gap, when this wood expands, there's no place to go. So it'll buckle someplace in the floor. Now, he's saying it's a bulge as opposed to a buckle. A buckle, you know, a bulge would be like a hump coming up out of the floor. Usually when there's an expansion problem, that it actually you know, it pops up at the joint, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like a little tent shaped thing, something like that. But regardless, yeah, it certainly sounds like a moisture problem to me and sealing the concrete. I mean, he's, I don't know if he wants to pull this floor up again. He's put, yeah. he's put it down twice already. Um, yeah. Cause I can't imagine it's not a moisture problem. And unfortunately there's not much you can do except seal that floor and maybe go to a different flooring. Yeah. But if it's a floating floor like that, you should be able to, it's a little bit of work, but pull it up, stack it up nice, and right. then check that humidity. But right now, get that hygrometer, set it right on the ground, right on the floor where the problem occurs, and, and start with that. And then that might tell you everything uh, that you need to know. Let's go back to the hotline for another call we received this week. I'm calling you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I have a beautiful wood door that faces north, and there's a porch over it, but it's very dry out here. It's been three years, and I've been bad. I haven't done anything to it, and there's some cracks in it. I wanted to know if I could fill that out. Plus, what do I put on the door to help protect it? Okay. Uh, well, if it's a stained door, it's, it's really, really tough to fill those holes, those cracks. I'm sure you're talking about vertical, real small um, expansion cracks. Um, very hard to cover that um, and and then make it go away and not show when you're talking about a stained door. Now, if it's a painted door, you're going to be in pretty good shape. You can sand around any of the splits. You can fill it with um, an acrylic latex caulk that'll remain flexible. And then you can, you know, go back over it with two coats of acrylic latex paint. Uh, because of the flexibility, that will allow it to expand and contract when the sun or the cold or whatever hitting it. And in your case, just extreme dry conditions. Uh, either way, that, that paint will expand and contract and make it um, a lot easier from that standpoint. Let's go back to the hotline for another call. 
there was a tip for a do-it-yourself weed killer. It was one gallon of vinegar, and then it was Epsom salts, and then it was Dawn. And I missed the proportions after the gallon of vinegar, how much Epsom salts, and how much Dawn. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you for calling and uh, asking about that because we know a lot of people, when we talked about this a few months ago, um, my goodness, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that ended up uh, commenting about how well it worked. Joe, everybody's battling weeds, so... Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back to the recipe here. What uh, what exactly the quantities do we need in that gallon of white vinegar? That's exactly it. So you start with one gallon of white distilled vinegar, two cups of Epsom salt and a quarter cup of the Dawn dish soap. And you mix it up and you put it into a garden spray and you spray it directly on on the weeds. And what happens is the salt and the vinegar kills the weeds and the detergent just helps it stick to the plant so it stays effective much longer. Well, boy, I tell you, that really does work. And It does, yeah. I just, you know, when you hear so much about the carcinogens and such in, in so many different weed killers and things, everybody's looking for ways to, you know, kill weeds, control weeds without having to not only per I mean, some of those things are $25, $30 a gallon. Yeah. And what did we say? I think I said it was like the white vinegar. I bought a gallon of it for about $2.70. I, I, I bought some last week, too, because I was doing some cleaning on a ceiling that I had. And uh, right. same thing. It was uh, like two twenty-five. dollars uh, a gallon. It's just like, wow, it doesn't even the, the jug cost that much? I mean, you know, it's just uh, seems <laughs> yeah, a that's but, right. but that def, that definitely works, and it's a lot safer to use than, than others. So, um, again, uh, I love the good homespun recipes like that. Hey, we're just getting started on this hour of today's Homeowner Radio. We've got a lot to share with you, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Pavestone, creating beautiful landscapes, and by Quickrete Cement and Concrete Products. It's what America's made of. And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show, nationally syndicated all over the country, over 360 wonderful stations, including KWNOAM 1230 in Winona. Minnesota. Special hello to everybody there. We want to help you out. You know what to do. Pick up the phone and call us 800-946-4420 or you can send us an email anytime. Today's homeowner.com slash ask. Wanted to share with you a, a, a really cool product that just came out because as weather starts to cool off, lots of us are going to be thinking about really sealing up the gaps and cracks around the outside of our home. This keeps out the cold winter drafts and it seals out moisture, which can really damage the building materials in your home. Now, when people plan to take on this task, they inevitably ask, what should I use to fill those gaps? Well, I have a new answer because the folks at Titebond have a brand new sealant that'll be a game changer for these kind of chores. It's called Tight Shield. And what makes this sealant so great is it can actually fill a gap 
up to two inches wide, but wow. it continues to remain flexible, so it won't crack over time. Now, I've never seen anything like this. We tested this, and I'm telling you, it's pretty amazing. And In fact, it can expand and contract up to 50% of the joint size. Now, that makes it ideal for use around windows and door openings because they're constantly moving. It also adheres really well to a wide variety of materials from wood and metal to concrete and glass, and you can use it almost anywhere. Tight Shield is also paintable with latex paint, but it comes in nine common colors, so you may not even have to get out your paintbrush. To find out more, you can check it out at tightbond.com, and that's T-I-T-E bond.com, tightbond.com. It's pretty cool, and uh, something yeah. when you're really looking at um, those gaps around, you might find a little settling here and there. Sure. The two-inch gap seems uh, extreme, but you might be surprised how many of those kind of gaps are around your house robbing you of energy dollars. So, Well, the the, uh, the caulking cartridge, the tube, is about two inches in diameter. Maybe you just take the whole tube and just jam and it just into cram the... It right just in. cram it right into the gap. Yeah, there, but, done. Uh, uh, you don't even need a caulking gun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's go back to the Today's Homeowner Hotline. We'd love to hear from you. 800-946-4420. Karen from George is online. Karen, welcome to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. And what's happening at your house? Well, right now, nothing. But I really thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'm a homeowner, and I've got a, kind of a dilemma. Under the house, I need to redo all the plumbing, but I also need to redo the bathroom floor and uh, underflooring. Subfloor, yeah. Subfloor, mm -hmm. thank you. And I was wondering what comes first. Should I be doing the plumbing first, or should I be doing the, uh, with the subfloor first? Yeah, I, I, I I'll tell you, we've, we've done it both ways. Um, it's always good if the plumber is working, um, you know, on the same page with the carpenters that are doing the work because what they may want to do is to have the plumber come in and remove the toilet, remove whatever's necessary uh, to gain access to the damaged flooring. And then it may be that they come in, remove what's needed, Carpenter comes in, remove what's needed, and go ahead and repair any of the floor joists and have the plywood ready to go right back over it but not install it. And that gives the plumber much better access to be able to reroute the plumbing, bring the plumbing up through the floor, and then the carpenter can do the cutting around it in order to put it back in. But you, you really want to glue that subfloor down. You want to use screws everywhere you possibly can to really tighten it all up. And also one thing that's a little pet peeve of mine, don't allow them to leave anything under that house. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of times they'll cut those pipes off and just let it drop and go, what the heck? Nobody's going to see it. Well, it's there, and if you ever have to crawl under there, crawling over old old pipes and things like that is just the wrong way to do a project. So my advice to have those guys work together, let the plumber rough it in, put the plywood over it, and then and then nothing can go wrong at that point. Oh, great. Thanks so much. It gives me a lot to work on. And being as there's going to be cast iron uh, under the house for the plumbing, it's a great idea to have make sure that they remove it as well. Thanks a lot. Okay, our our pleasure. Best of luck on it. Hope everything goes well for you. And if you run into anything else, just let us know. And thanks so much for being part of the show, Karen. Thank you. Bye now. Yeah, I tell you, it's frustrating when you get into those bathrooms and remodeling. And boy, right. those sometimes 
you you tear into a, a project like that and you go, how did this floor even support, you know, not yeah. only a tub full yeah. of water, full of people. Um, now all of a sudden you got hundreds and hundreds of pounds in a concentrated area. Uh, boy, it is so important when you're doing that kind of thing to do it right. Cause you, you only have one chance and also make sure you figure out why it rotted. Where's that water coming in around there? Cause you might have a problem with, you know, small leak, or it may only be leaking when it's draining or, right. yep. or, you know, um, kids getting out of the, or anybody getting out of the shower and all of that water accumulating there and running to the tub, that'll rot one out after a period of time. And if it's bare soil under that house and it's not covered with uh, plastic, I mean, all that moisture is coming up into that house and that'll rot it out. But you're right. If you can get all that, wherever you have the um, rotted subfloor, if you can pull that up and let the plumber come in. I mean, how much easier is it for him to walk around between the joists and have light and air coming down if he is on his back in the crawl space or whatever oh, is yeah. going on? You know, I mean, rather than nailing the plywood down, then calling the plumber, it'd be a lot easier for them to route lines and reroute existing lines. Exactly. Let's go to the emails here. You can send us one right now, todayshomeowner.com slash Ask. This one came in from Mason in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, what's the easiest and best way to clean a vinyl fence? Ours is only two years old, but it's looking pretty dull and dirty, and I think there are some moldy spots along one side of the property. Can I just blast it away with a pressure washer uh, without damaging it? Thank you so much for your suggestions. Well, a pressure washer can be used, but you need to put something on there to kind of release the mold, mildew, dirt. What do you think on vinyl? There's a lot of different ways, a lot of things that you can use on vinyl. You don't want to get, sure. you know, too aggressive on it, but what would you recommend to Mason to use to kind of loosen up on that uh, dirt and mold or whatever? Yeah, you can use a diluted white vinegar solution with, you know, dilute it with a little water. Um, but what I've heard you can use, and I've not tried this, I know the vinegar works, but you can use, um, what do they call magic erasers? Like, uh, Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Now, you have to always use those damp, by the way, no matter what surface you're using them. So you'd, you'd plunge them into a bucket of water, wring out the excess. And in this case, I'd wet the fence down just to, with a garden hose just to try to remove as much dirt as possible. And then that will be wet. The sponge will be wet. Not the sponge, but the it feels like a sponge. Mm -hmm. But the Magic Eraser, and, and try that. It's not abrasive, so it's not going to scratch up the the fence itself. So um, I think I would try that before trying anything else. That's good. That's good. And just uh, always be careful with those pressure washers. It can cause you some pretty significant damage. Here's another one from Pennsylvania. Bob asked, the sidewalk in front of our house has grass and weeds growing out of the cracks in the expansion joints. I pulled and scraped them out, but they just grow right back. I don't want to spray anything on it too toxic. What do you suggest, Joe? Here we go again. Another yeah. opportunity to mention the recipe uh, that we mentioned, very organic, non-toxic kind of recipe, starting out with one gallon of vinegar, then you want two cups of Epsom salt, then you want a little bit of Dawn dishwashing liquid. You put all of those together, uh, mix it up really, really well, put it in your garden sprayer, and then just apply everything. And, and Joe, it does make sense with the acidity of the vinegar and, of course, salt does what it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then the, it's kind of interesting, the uh, Dawn dishwashing liquid. 
Yeah, the dishwashing liquid just helps it stick. Detergent itself doesn't really have the liquid dish soap doesn't have any effect on the on the weeds specifically, but it does help the vinegar and salt stick. And I've used this on weeds, not between um, a sidewalk, but on the lawn. By the end of the day, the weeds are are starting to shrivel up. In a day or two, they're gone. And you don't have to worry about breathing any of those fumes. Because, That's right. Uh, yeah. Some of the other things there, uh, I don't I don't blame people for trying to get away from some of those poisons. Hey, you're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. I'm Danny Lippert, along with my buddy Joe Truini. When we come back, we're going to answer a few more emails and also give you some tips so that you can paint like a pro. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back. Today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. And welcome back to the show. I'll tell you that there's one thing that lots and lots of homeowners try. Some of them love it. Some of them don't love it as much, and that's painting. But without a doubt, it can make a gigantic difference in the look of your home inside or out. Now, you see the pro painters, and they they have lots and lots of little tricks and tips. We have those, and we want to share with you a few of them right now. Joe, what, what do you have for us? All right, Danny, here's one that I shot a simple solution of not too long ago, so you can see the one-minute video version of this tip. It's prior to painting a room, it's really important to clean the walls and the ceiling to remove all dust, dirt, cobwebs, that kind of thing. But how do you do that quickly and easily? Well, here's one way. Wrap a towel around the head of a push broom, then secure it with a couple of binder clips just to hold it in place. Then lightly mist a towel with water. You can put water in a plant mister and and wet the towel down. Now you can use this towel wrap broom to wipe down the walls and ceiling. In an average size room, you know, you can do the ceiling in less than a minute and each wall probably takes, you know, half a minute and you get all that dust and dirt because you don't want to just start rolling paint over that um, and get it into the new paint and all over your brushes and rollers. So try that. And by the way, this tip also works great. I used it for a second project to remove joint compound dust from newly sanded drywall joints Mm -hmm. because, you know, you want to clean off that dust, obviously, before you prime it and then paint it. So there's a lot of ways to use this push broom, not as a broom, but sort of as a mop by wrapping it in a wet towel. And you'll always be surprised as how dirty those walls are. You just don't realize it till you start cleaning them and you'll realize the benefit of that. Here's one that especially if you're working outside, whether it's decks or siding or whatever, the importance of back priming. Now, these these tips for painting or staining any type of wooden board, that'll be installed outside. It's very important. And all you have to do is just set the boards on a sawhorse, apply the paint or stain before actually installing them. Go ahead and prime it or stain it and just let it dry a little bit and you're ready to go. It'll save you a lot of time and allow you to do a much better job without bending or reaching. And second, always back prime the boards, meaning applying the stain or paint to the back surface. This will help prevent moisture from passing through the rear and blister the finish on the front surface. And you might, you know, say, well, why in the world would I do that if I'm nailing it against the wall or if I'm putting it on a deck? Believe me, encapsulating that wood will make it last a lot longer and it'll look better for a lot longer. 
And here's another one. When you bring home a new gallon of freshly shaken paint, right? You go and buy a gallon of paint from the home center. They immediately, they shake it up, you know, to mix the colors, of course. And then you take it home. And the first thing I do before I ever start painting, even if I'm not going to be painting that day, but immediately getting it home, remove the lid and clean the undecided lid of all paint. I usually use a putty knife, a plastic putty knife to scrape off some of that paint because there's quite a bit of paint that actually comes off of that. And then I wipe it down with a damp cloth. And then when you get ready to use the paint, don't shake it because, of course, then you get paint all over the lid again and just stir it. And um, what happens is if you remove that paint from the lid, because what happens is it drips off of that, those little drips dry, and then, then they get hard and crisp crunchy and they fall off into the paint and and you know then you have it in your paint and you have to strain it out so don't shake it when you get it just stir it and then when you put the lid back i usually put a piece of wax paper on it and then tap down the lid and again that this way if you do accidentally tip the can over paint won't splash onto the underside of the lid Hey, here's another one that I really like that, and we've used it a good bit. Let's say you're painting your bathroom and, you know, you don't want to, you know, remove the toilet or remove other other fixtures and everything, but you want to make sure you don't get any paint on them. Yes, you want to be careful, but here's another way to make sure nothing gets on any of those fixtures is to grab some Glad press and seal. It's an adhesive back plastic food wrap, and it's a great to be able to protect items that can't be easily moved out of the way, such as toilets, light fixtures, sinks, and counters. You basically just wrap it like you would a head of lettuce and go ahead and do <laughs> do all of your painting, and then you can peel it right off and throw it away. It's well worth it. It doesn't cost much money, and again, you're getting the kind of results that the pros get. That's what you want on any paint job. I just find it funny picturing Danny wrapping heads of lettuce. He's, he's retired. And he's still looking for stuff to do. <laughs> okay, Danny, here's another one. A real, a, not only a time saver, but a money saver. When rolling paint into narrow spaces, it's often best to use a three-inch paint roller. You know, paint rollers come in different sizes, and you get the little three-inch ones. The problem is three-inch roller sleeves cost almost three bucks a piece. However, you can make your own because standard paint rollers are nine inches long. So I just used a hacksaw and I cut it into thirds. So I ended up with three three-inch rollers from <laughs> from a single roller sleeve, and a four-pack of nine-inch roller sleeves cost about nine dollars. So for each custom-cut three-inch sleeve, will cost you maybe seventy cents or whatever that is, mm -hmm. seventy-five mm -hmm. cents instead of three dollars. So there you go, make your own mini paint rollers. And that can really work out well, like painting trim. Let's say you're doing some, right. as I mentioned yeah. earlier, about back priming or whatever, to be able to use those instead of a large roller. It's a lot neater, cleaner, and a lot less expensive as well. Hey, here's a good tip that actually was sent to us uh, from a listener in uh, Montana. And uh, this is kind of cool. Um, so, you, you know, if, if you want to know how to really paint neatly from a can when you're using a paintbrush, start by taking a lid from a discarded can of paint and cut it right in half using some aviation shears. Then tap the half lid onto the paint can you're using. Now, when you dip your brush into the paint, you can very easily and neatly strike off all of the excess paint by running the bristles against the edge of the half lid. And the thing that does this, I mean, yes, you can do it on the side of the can, but look what happens. It gets all of that in that groove that you're going to want to put the full lid back on later. If you have a buildup of paint around there, then you're having to get all of that out, clean all of that out for it to seal properly. 
this is a much easier way to take care of that. Joe, how about another one? All right. And that's also a great tip for when you're painting out of a brand new can of paint because there's no, yeah, there's no place to uh-huh. tap the excess paint off. All right. It's virtually impossible to paint in tight spaces and narrow openings unless you make a custom paint pad. We're talking about like painting behind a toilet or between, you know, balusters or something like that. So what you want to do is purchase these mini paint pad refills. They're typically about an inch and a quarter wide, two and a half inches long. Then you use your utility knife to bevel the end of a paint stir stick, you know, the wooden sticks they give you. So you bevel the edge a little bit with a utility knife and you can slide these uh, little paint refill pads, these little pads onto the stick. So what you end up with is a paint stick with a little paint pad on the end. Dip it into the paint. Then you can very easily slide this. I think when I shot this as a simple solution, we were showing how to go behind a toilet and and something on a staircase, I forget, but it was amazing how well, because these are designed for applying paint. It's just that, with the long stick, you can reach it to places that you can't reach any other way. There you go. A number of great paint tips that you can use to paint like a pro. More awaiting on you at todayshomeowner.com. Hey, have you sent us an email lately? Well, if you did, chances are you're about to get those answers when we come back here on Today's Homeowner Radio. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Deitch Coatings. Easily roll on your new stone countertop, garage floor, and more in just a weekend with Deitch. And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. Danny Lifford here along with my buddy Joe Truini. And we have a stack of emails here. We'd love to get one from you. Todayshomeowner.com slash ask is where you need to go. That's exactly what Joanne did from Washington. Said, hi, Danny and Joe. My husband painted the trim around our front door and dripped a little bit of white latex paint onto the brick steps. I made him go down into the basement, and I'm not letting him out. No, I made that, I made, I made that up. That's how we met Danny, because Danny was forced down into the basement. Too. He went to timeout, painter's timeout. Okay. Of course, he didn't notice it until the paint had uh, already dried, and there's um, a number of white spots that are still noticeable. Is there a way to safely remove the paint without damaging the bricks? And, Joe, we talk a lot about when things, um, you know, whether it's mud or paint or whatever, it right, might yep. might get on bricks. Um, you, you really have to be careful. Bricks, you know, are a little bit fragile if you're too aggressive on them. But what would you recommend to Joanne to try to uh, get her husband out of trouble here and get yeah. get those few little paint uh, specks off off the yeah, bricks? Well, well, you can hide his paintbrushes. That might start. <laughs> right, could, um, I think I'd maybe. I mean, you could certainly use paint strippers. You know, you can buy the liquid or the gel type. We often recommend citrus strip, mm-hmm, which has mm-hmm. citric acid in it, which is non-toxic. So you could try that. I, I, I've not tried this, but I heard WD-40 will soften up dried paint. So you can spray some WD-40 on it and let it soak in for a few minutes and then scrub it with a nylon bristle brush. As Danny said, you don't want to damage the bricks. So don't use a wire brush or anything like that. And if, if all else fails, we always recommend you can get a graffiti remover, spray graffiti remover. There's mm-hmm. a couple of manufacturers. Ironically enough, it comes in basically a spray can, like a paint spray paint can. I don't know what's in it, but you spray it on there and they use it to remove graffiti. So you could always try that. All right. Another email here from Kansas City, Missouri. Derek writes in, hi, Danny. I recently stripped an old wood door down to bare wood and then applied one coat of latex primer. 
after letting it dry overnight, the surface felt a little rough, so I used an orbital finishing sander to smooth it out. But then I noticed small raised spots on the door that looked like hardened paint globs. I know they weren't there before I sanded. How did this happen? How can I remove them? Thanks for any suggestion. I wonder if they maybe had, you know, some some glue that kind of squeezed out of a joint there that was mm-hmm. covered by the paint, but when he stripped it all down, it exposed it again. So I assume a little more sanding here is all that's needed. Yeah, he'd have to he'd have to sand it, but he'd have to be careful. I think if um he painted the door and he found these rays that look like hardened paint. Yeah, if those little paint globs, what he's calling paint globs, if they are the same color of the paint, what may have happened, there's a phenomenon called, I think it's called pilling, that happens when you're sanding primer or paint. What happens is when you sand it, you're making dust, but it's not wood dust. It's basically paint dust. And that sanding action creates friction. That friction melts the paint and it turns into these little tiny globs that stick to the surface because they're melted and then they dry. And they can be a little difficult to remove, but what I would do is try with very light pressure, maybe hand sanding them off with 220 grit sandpaper or something like that. Something that's not going to create a lot of friction. But to avoid this, what you should always do, regardless of whether pilling's an issue or not, is always sweep the surface off before um, sanding a second coat, or certainly when when sanding with a rough grit sandpaper go to a smoother sandpaper. Because let's say you, you sand it with 80 grit, you have little bits of 80 grit abrasive on that surface. Then you go over it with, let's say, 100 grit or 120. What you're doing is you're taking those larger grits and grinding them into the surface and scratching it up. So um, always, that's another tip, is always, always brush off or wipe off the surface before moving on to another sanding on that surface. Okay, let's work in one more here. Then uh, I know exactly the answer to this one. Peter from Manchester, uh, New Hampshire says, Hey, Danny, I'm about to put away my window screens for the season, but I want to get them nice and clean. Do you have any tips on how to clean them and then safely store window screens? Any suggestions would be appreciated. I have about 20 screens. Sounds like it's time for a window screen swimming pool. And that's a, <laughs> that, 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 that's a suggestion that Joe, Joe had actually did a simple solution on it. We've oh, shared right, this yeah. a number of times. Basically, take uh, four two-by-fours about four feet long and turn them up on the edge and screw them together. Then take a piece of plastic and lay it down in there and staple it around the edge and then fill that full of water. Now, this should be big enough so that you can put one screen in there at a time. Fill it up with warm water, put you some dishwashing liquid in there, and then just dip the screen down in there, turn it over, dip it there, take a soft brush and clean it off that way and set it to the side and allow it to dry. It really won't take long, and if you put this together with screws, you can unscrew it, bundle it together, and use it the next season. Don't forget to clean around where the screen attaches to the window. That can get really dirty there as well. So wipe all of that down and you'll be good to go. A lot of different tips that we've been able to share with you and the big ones coming up with the Big Simple Solution. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Fluid Master. Find out more at shop.fluidmaster.com. And welcome back to the last part of the Today's Homeowner Radio Show for this week. And that's when we bring out the simple solution. Joe, what do you have for us? All right, Danny. Um, this is a way, a really simple way to extend the life of your wire brush. 
And because the way that most of us use the wire brush, the bristles near the very end of the brush wear out prematurely, rendering the brush not useless, but almost useless because the bristles at the end are, are so badly bent and worn out. So here's how to save that brush and get rid of those deformed bristles. Take a hacksaw and cut off the damaged section from the end of the brush. It's usually only inch and a half or so into the brush. In the region, you use a hacksaw, even though the, the um, brush itself, the handle is usually made out of wood, is that you don't want to hit any metal bristles with a wood saw. Um, and if it's a plastic handle, you'd use a hacksaw anyway. But anyway, so you use a hacksaw, you cut off the end, and then I used, I used my belt sander just to round off the sharp edges. You don't really need to do that. And what happened is the brush will be a little shorter, but you'll be exposing perfectly new bristles that you probably hadn't even really used. And I've done that actually, I think, two times. Um, I have three or four wire brushes. One of them I saved just for the barbecue grill because once you use it on a barbecue grill, you know, it gets kind of greasy. Yeah, you want to use it for right. something else. Um, but I've extended the life of the brushes by, you know, maybe two or three times. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and most of the time, you you don't need that wire brush being that long anyway. So yeah, if you cut an right. inch and a half off, you're not going to you're not gonna miss that at all. That's another great simple solution. You can find a lot more of them at today's homeowner. Dot com. Now, also, we, of course, our Today's Homeowner television show after 25 years is uh, not uh, on broadcast television anymore, but you can see it all over the web by going to a number of different streaming platforms. And all you have to do is go to todayshomeowner.com slash stream to be able to see all the many different places that you can see it. Now, and I'll tell you one that a lot of, uh, getting a lot of email on is on uh, LG. If you have an LG smart TV, uh, we have our own channel there, channel 476, 24 hours a day. Today's homeowner, we're also, you can check us out on Freevee, Pluto, Roku, and many, many others. And when you're talking about, think about it, it's over 600 episodes. There's a lot of information there, a lot of fun that we've had over the years. Yes, the show changed kind of gradually over the years. And that evolution of the show, I think, is the reason that we were able to last a lot longer than other shows did. And and we kind of decided to stop it while we were on top because uh, our ratings are as good as they've ever been. But the radio show will continue through the end of the year. Now, um, Joe, I, I can't let you go here without asking you again about uh, your, your team, the Yankees. Now, um, I understand um, you're about to have shoulder surgery. Is this the reason they took you out of the, the pitching rotation and then they started imploding at that point? Is that basically what happened? Yeah, let's let's go with that. That that's, But actually what happened is I hurt my shoulder throwing the remote at the TV because I've been playing so <laughs> lousy since late March. You know, I've never... I mean, I shouldn't really complain as a Yankee fan, but they have never played this poorly in my lifetime. I think it's been 31 years since they had a record this bad. And, and yeah, I mean, the shoulder surgery is the least of my worries. I just want to get this team right, get rid of some of those old guys and see if we can get in some young players. Because you see all these young players going places. And look at the Braves, man. What a great organization. So uh, that's what I'm hoping for. But thanks for bringing that up, Daniel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was just, uh, I guess there's a little mean streak in me. I couldn't, I couldn't resist that. But, but There's not. You shouldn't say that. It's not a little mean but, streak. <laughs> but uh, I do hope the shoulder surgery goes well for you. Oh, it'll be fine. Uh, yeah. I'm I'll sure be in with, and out uh, no time. with Nurse Marla being there right by yes. your side, you'll be perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah, sounds fine. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap up the Today's Homeowner Radio Show for this week. I'm Danny Lifford, along with my great, capable co-host, Joe Truini. 
our producer Scott Gardner and our great engineer Brad Rogers and the whole today's homeowner family. Hoping you have a fantastic weekend and come back and see us again next week. We'll see you then. 